Well, praise team, that was beautifully done. Very, very excellent. I used to dream of playing the guitar like that. <laughs> it never happened. <laughs> now the only thing I can play is the radio, so that's, that just about does it. Well, first of all, I'd like to uh, thank you very much for the most loving greeting you can imagine as I stood down in the foyer. Uh, many people came up and shared with me that uh, they had been praying for me. And uh, I want to tell you, that's likely the only reason I'm here this morning. Uh, I still have the shingles, but uh, not in a contagious way at all. That's gone, but it's just nerve damage now. <clears throat> and, uh, but thank you for those prayers. It's uh, been a long six months, and uh, our first real outing was two weeks ago in Summerside. And uh, this is actually number two, so uh, it's, a, it's a treat to be back. I'd like to uh, mention Miriam. Uh, she's on the road uh, tomorrow, I believe. Uh, she'll be going down to a place called Paracu, and then she'll be going down to Cotonou, where she'll be flying out from uh, on Wednesday and uh, coming back to Canada. So there's one very serious hug waiting for that girl, and uh, we're delighted to have her home and have her safe. And uh, considering the environment that she's working in, and uh, my friends from Nigeria here know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about the Boko Haram, and uh, also to the west is uh, Al-Qaeda. So it's, um, it's a, an area that certainly needs your prayers. And uh, once again, the Lord has put that hedge of grace around Miriam that we prayed for over and over again, and uh, that's a delight. Uh, thirdly, I'd like to just thank you for your encouragement during this very challenging six months. And um, thank you for your kindness, your generosity, and um, my phone calls with Dave. <laughs> and uh, we've had many talks about many things, and uh, they were encouraging and very much appreciated. Well, you know, in the race of life, and uh, I was talking to Ralph uh, during the break, and he was suggesting that he's slowing down a little bit. <laughs> and I quietly said, Amen, and uh, was knowing exactly what he was talking about. But you know, we all want to finish the race well. It doesn't matter a whole lot how you start, but it sure matters how you finish. Because that's the impact that you have upon your grandchildren, your spouse if you have one, and uh, all your extended family and friends. And uh, so you want to finish the race well. It's very, very critical. When you're in the area of ministering, you know, it's interesting, one of the, and, and this sounds like a contradiction, but one of the real opportunities in sharing the word is at a funeral. Because I want to tell you, you have a very attentive audience, and for many, many different reasons. For the unsaved, there's an unseen banner across whatever facility it is that that funeral is taking place at. And that unforeseen banner says very, very distinctly, and hopefully to their hearts, today is the day of salvation. You have no guarantees of tomorrow. You've heard that before. You'll hear it again. It's easy to let it slip by, but it's true. And everyone dies. Everyone dies. Now, we're hoping for the rapture. And uh, I was watching somebody doing a time chart on Wednesday night, and they uh, were saying, you know, I hope we're just about here. And then that, the rapture was the next thing on his chart. And uh, I uh, once again set a quiet 
Amen. <laughs> Amen, brother. That would be wonderful. You know the beautiful thing about the rapture? There are no widows and no widowers. <laughs> Everybody goes in the twinkling of an eye, however long that is. It's not very long. And uh, what, a, what a blessing it is. The teacher of the word does not have to say many words at a funeral. They're already said for him. Because you know what a funeral does is it takes away that fantasy, that um, imagining that maybe I will live forever. <laughs> maybe they'll never have one of these for me. Maybe I'm different. No, you're not. No, you're not. And uh, certainly I have uh, seen in life that sometimes unsafe people, do you know how they prepare for a funeral? They drink. They get uh, well intoxicated because they can't handle all that reality. All that reality about the fact that, hey, one day will be your turn. If you turn, please, to 1 John 5, 11 and 12. <clears throat> And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And in the breaking of bread, we looked at that truth very many times in different ways. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's what I call double-barreled truth. There's uh, no gray zones in there, no confusion, nothing that anyone couldn't understand. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That makes it very, very clear. In order to finish our journey of life in an excellent fashion, it's sometimes wise to go back to the very beginning. And in the very beginning, and I'll just read this, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. He is the creator. He's the designer. He has a plan for our lives. Just like any designer working as a draftsman and maybe he starts it and then they, they, uh, they refine it and they refine it more and more and uh, they have a, a specific plan just like God has for our lives. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. No big bangs here. You know, it, it, it always has intrigued me. Give or take 10 million years. Yeah, that's not the, sci the scientific approach that I was taught all through school, and I think my science teachers were very sincere people, and they taught me precision. They taught me precise, exact, scientific method in drawing final conclusions. And yet, people stand up and just, well, give or take 10 million years. What kind of science is that? What kind of science is that? It's something that I, I truly, truly do not understand. Jesus Christ had a design and a definite purpose in that design for our lives to help us constantly over and over and over again to finish, to finish the race well. And let's keep in mind, there were certain people, great people in the Bible, who did not finish well. Certainly Saul would be one who would come to mind. A tragic, tragic ending because he did not finish well. David almost didn't finish well. Fortunately, he got back in his relationship, if you read in the Psalms, he got back into a proper relationship with God, a relationship of praise and thanksgiving. But he came close to ending in tragedy. One of my real heroes in the, in the scriptures, and yet there was tragedy in his life. 
In 1 John 4, 8, if you'd turn there, please. In 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Four, and the last three words. God is love. Very simple statement. And yet that is the very nature of God. And yet we have to be careful with that doctrine. Because if we only give part of the doctrine, we have not given the truth. I was thinking about a young man. And of course, as he's going out, let's say he's 17 years old, and he's going out uh, the back door, and his mom, of course, you know what she's going to ask him, uh, what are you going to do? I'm going for a walk. Well, that's true. Now, he didn't say he's going for a walk down to the coffee shop to plan a robbery with the worst people in the high school, and they're going to commit all kinds of of, uh, problems for other people. No, he didn't mention that. No, he told the truth. But part of the truth is sometimes not the truth at all. And if we just present that God is love, we've missed the story because there's, a, there's another chapter. And if you turn, please, to, to John 5, 22. John 5, 22. And there are, I'm sure, many, many places of worship within 10 miles of where I'm standing right here this morning. And for many months and many years and many decades, they've only given part of the truth. And in John 5.22, we see, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. He's placed in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. This whole element of of judgment, and yet that is totally erased, and everything associated with judgment is erased in many, many people's teachings. Our chances of finishing well become far greater when we live each day in accordance with the Lord's design. And we are designed to love. We're designed to serve. We're designed to praise and give thanksgiving and truly, truly honor the Lord. In 1 John 2.15, if you turn there, please, this is a verse that I'm sure many of you know. But uh, it, it kind of came alive for me just very recently. And it's, it, it's, it's a verse that encompasses a great deal of the lives, our own lives and lives around us. In John, 1 John 2, 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the, the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in him. The Lord designed us to focus our love and to have godly discernment and understanding in regards to our love. I was in a hospital room this last week, a man who is very, very ill, and um, he was talking to me about a number of things, and all of a sudden he started telling me about a, a man who, uh, who had a mistress, if we will, and she came in green bottles and brown bottles and aluminum cans. And you know, her name truly is excessive drinking. And this man, as his love for this mistress, alcohol, became greater and greater and greater, you know what happened. Some of you have lived it. And that is his love for his wife became less and less and less. She just faded away and became of less, uh, less importance. And I'd tell more of the story, but there might be somebody here who would know that person, so I'll try to be very, very careful in regards to that. But sometimes, this mistress, her name is Video Games. And this was a heartache in my life. 
I did premarital counseling with a couple, and he allowed a, a taker brother, a loser really, and uh, he allowed him to come into his home. And the brother influenced him and drew him away from his wife, <clears throat> and more and more to staying up all night long. I don't know what the attraction is to nighttime, but uh, they would get, I'm sure, all kinds of coffee or any kind of speed they could find. And they would play these video games all night long. And pretty soon the marriage was in trouble, serious trouble. And eventually it led to divorce. I wish I had a picture of this young lady. Absolutely beautiful. The most gorgeous smile you've ever seen in your life. About 25 years of age, two children, and uh, just a tragic situation. And he gave all of that up for video games. I've never played one, so I don't know a whole lot about them, but he gave that all up for video games. Do you know that they have a group down in California of people who have lost their marriages and lost their families because they're so involved with the computer, so involved with internet, so involved with so many things like that. If there is truth in the statement, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, might be a very appropriate verse for a marriage ceremony in 2017. Because, you know, I would not be at all surprised if more people, and look, let's look at some of the things. It's not just excessive drinking and video games. Money or prestige can draw a person away from the one that God has given them. Pornography, drugs, anything that makes your spouse become a distant second in the passions and the desires and the longings of your heart. Anything that does that is a very, very dangerous thing indeed. And I'm sure for some of you, the word idolatry is, is running through the back of your mind. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I'm sure if I'm ever asked again to do premarital counseling, that is one of the verses that will come up. I don't know what session it'll come up in, but it will definitely, definitely come up. Don't think that for a moment that such things cannot happen on the mission field. For those of you who pray for missionaries on the mission field, first of all, you, have, you can't even really imagine the darkness of some of the places that they serve. And I could tell you all kinds of tragedies that took place in Senegal during our 19 years there. I'm not going to do that, and that'll never happen. But I, I want to guarantee you that these things can happen. So don't put missionaries on a pedestal that they don't belong on. They're just human beings, sometimes doing an incredibly difficult task. You know, just two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, I guess it was, right near Bamberake, the hospital that Miriam works at, there was a, a, a bus crash, and 20 people were killed in that crash, and all, all the others were seriously injured. I won't go into gross details of what it's like in a tropical country where there's no refrigeration and 20 people are dead, we won't go there, but it's dark and it's difficult. And you need to pray for these people because the things that I'm referring to here can happen equally to them. Don't ever put them on a pedestal. During your 30 or 40 or 50 year walk with the Lord or however long uh, you have or will walk with the Lord, you take some hits along the way. There are betrayals. And sometimes those can lead to very difficult things. In 1 John 4, 21, if you turn there, please. 1 John 4, 
And this is certainly a challenge when these things take place. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Have you ever been in a situation where it's a little easier to love God than it is to love your brother? <laughs> you likely have if you've walked with the Lord for very long. And you know, we expect to be disdained by the unsaved. We're weird people to them. The Bible calls us strange people. Uh, it just means unique. It doesn't mean strange in the sense that we might use it. And um, we are a unique people. And sometimes we are condemned because of that. But you know, it catches, us, catches you off balance when it's a brother or sister in Christ who goes after you and makes a real solid hit and, and maybe uh, tears into your reputation or, or whatever the case might be. But these conflicts are often with other believers. Forgiveness is a crucial part of finishing well, both in a marriage and in life. Forgiveness is absolutely crucial. Going back to that uh, premarital counseling, that has to be a, a whole chapter. That has to be a whole session of that type of teachings and sharing because it's absolutely crucial. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, you don't have to turn there because you know this verse so well. Rather than the word charity, I'll be using the word love. And now abideth faith, hope, and love these three, but the greatest of these is love. If that is the essence of your testimony today, you're one day closer to finishing well. And I really believe that, that it is, it is absolutely crucial that we truly, truly be loving those around us. May these precious words be eagerly shared at that time regarding yourself when you end your journey. Now, once again, I have to change these words a little bit because Paul was speaking about himself. And Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You know, such easy words to say. But according to the Bible, not very easy to live sometimes. I have fought a good fight. And if it was somebody else speaking for you, he fought a good fight. He finished his course. And those, those easy words, they just, they just slip off your tongue. They're so easy to say. He kept the faith. The question, will you keep the faith to the very end? Because I want to tell you, that's going to impact your grandchildren. That's going to impact your friends. It's going to impact people who you might not even remember their name any longer, but they cared for you and they prayed for you. And that would be the case here. There's some names in this room that I don't know. People don't give their name as they go out the door. I don't know those names. But I know that if I finished badly, it will impact their lives. They would grieve over that. But I know if I finish well, it will also have a positive impact and encourage them. How much do you want to encourage your grandchildren? One of the greatest ways you can do that is not what cottages you leave them and bonds and stocks and houses and and, and whatever else you leave behind. Because there are no U-Hauls behind hearse. You don't take anything with you. But that's just stuff they'll fight over. It doesn't really make a lot of difference. But if you have a sound, positive, loving testimony to the very end, and you have kept the faith, that 
will make a difference. That is an inheritance that is very, very precious. And to me, the greatest inheritance you can leave in finishing well is there is no question whether or not you are with the Lord Jesus Christ. How many people, how many people here have had loved ones die? I wonder if they were saved. I never saw them with the word. I never heard them pray. I'm really not sure. I wonder if they're in heaven or hell. That's a rotten inheritance to leave people. And all the stuff can't make up for it. The greatest inheritance you can leave is, I know one thing about that man. I didn't always agree with him. I didn't always think he was right. But I want to tell you one thing. I know he's with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he believed in him and he trusted him and he served him. And I have no question in my mind where he is today. Two weeks ago, we celebrated what I call Resurrection Sunday. What a precious time. Did you enjoy that? Just, just to have a whole day of focusing. Now, we should focus on it every day all year long. But to, to just really focus on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and know that I am part of that resurrection. I am part of that resurrection. How do you become part of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, we're citizens of the heavenlies. And how do we become a part of it? We become a part of it when we, in faith, are a part of the cross of Jesus Christ. When we are part of his shed blood and his sacrifice that was offered up to God the Father, and God the Father said, yes, this is complete. This is fulfilled. This is, this is perfect. This is everything that I required. And Jesus paid it all. And you know, one of the big things that unsaved people need to really learn and that is, it's very, very simple why you are not part of the equation. Because you're not worthy. That was shared right from this microphone just moments ago. You are not worthy. The equation is all about Jesus Christ, all about God the Father, what he offered in shedding of his blood on the cross of Calvary, on Mount Calvary. He offered that up to God the Father, and God the Father said yes. Their sins are covered. Now, if they'll only believe, if they'll only believe and trust that the Son of God, in pureness and holiness and truth, came down into this world, and in this world, he gave his life for you and I. And you know, you never want to think that the nails held him to that cross. Jesus Christ is God. He is the creator of everything that we see. And he could look at those nails and say, dust, and they would fall from his wounds. And he would, he would just step down and be far away from that cross. But no, his love held him to that wood, held him to that cross. And he said that he, he knew that you are forgiven because God gave, that God gave his son that we might have the gift of everlasting life. You know, something interesting that unsaved people don't understand, but that is if you get saved during this Easter season, and I'm including just a couple of weeks ago, so we're still basically in that spring season of Easter. If you get saved, if you believe the Lord Jesus Christ, if you put your trust in his sacrifice at Mount Calvary on the cross of Calvary, if you put your trust in him, you will remember these days, these moments, for the rest of your life. As long as you have a clear mind 
and your mind is not attacked by something like Alzheimer's or senility, you will remember moment by moment by moment when you finally bowed before Christ and said, Lord Jesus Christ, I am a sinner. You are God the Son. You are the Savior. You went to that cross without sin and purity and holiness and truth. And you did that all for me so that I could be free in this life and I could have eternity with you in the next life. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to be offered to you as a gift. And all you have to do is believe and receive it in faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for being back here at at, uh, Northbrook. and, And just thank you, Father, for the love and the kindness that's been shown us by so many people here. And Father, if if there is anyone here who has never received the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, never trusted him, believed in religiosity and maybe sprinkling and maybe uh, signing a membership book or taking some classes and and, uh, whatever, Father, may they realize that when we tell them that all of that can never get you through the gates of heaven, never bring in eternal and everlasting life into their being. I pray, Father, that they would realize that these words are not said in condemnation. They are said in love. We long for them to know and experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that that resurrection means very simply that Jesus Christ is here in our midst this morning. He's listened to every word. And and Father, he loves each person here with a love beyond anything we can imagine. We pray, Father, that if there be anyone here who needs to yield, who needs to give over themselves to just the love and the forgiveness and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that they would do that, that they would really do business with God. And I pray, Father, that everyone in this place today could go out on that Victoria Road more than a conqueror, truly a child of God. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.